Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Geopolitics podcast. <laughs> I'm joined by Cam Ponsonby and Cassie Whitney. We will get to the ICC's decision to suspend Sri Lanka cricket for governmental interference, which is the big story of the day. But first, let's discuss Africa's five-wicket win over Afghanistan. Uh, Cam, the moment of the game for me was Asmatullah Omar's side being stranded on 97 at the end of that first innings, which was just heartbreaking, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I I actually really like milestones and I like that milestones matter when they kind of shouldn't. I know it's kind of very trendy, especially in the T20 world where players slowing down is like the kind of cardinal sin. But I think it's off, more often than not, it's done because players are nervous over something mattering to them as much as it is being kind of selfish. And you could see that with Asmatullah in that he's playing this wonderful innings. He's going pretty much a run aboard. He needs kind of a handful of runs off the final over, but he has the confusion of he can't knock one and get Naveen on strike and then potentially get back on strike. And so eventually he just runs out of time and he's walking off of his highest ever score for his country, having single-handedly basically got them to a competitive total. The next high score is 26. And he's really sad, which is just doesn't, doesn't feel right. But all in all, I think it's one of those where as long as he gets 100 at some point in the next year or two, um, he'll look back on it with a smile on his face. But for now... It's the kind of contradiction of the best day of his batting career for his country and maybe also the worst. Who knows? Yeah, it was also just like, it was just how it happened. Like you had sort of him getting loads of twos at the end of the fortnight over and feeling like, okay, this is, this feels different to how he'd been just like sort of like hitting boundaries pretty freely before then. And then, yeah, the sort of the dot on the fourth ball that I'd be like, oh, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. And then another dot ball was like, oh, uh-oh. And then the run out. And that's and that's it. That's over for him. I guess. Look, two four four in the end. Catty wasn't wasn't the biggest chase, but I think almost in a way, South Africa would have like picked a chase around that target before the beginning of the game because it's given them a useful exercise in doing something they haven't done that successfully at this World Cup, and they still looked a bit shaky, I guess, but a bit more comfortable than they did against Pakistan in that game, and, and a lot more comfortable than they did against India in that game. Um, it was Andili Pethlequire who eased them home. I guess there's no way for him to play in the semi-final when Marco Janssen comes back uh, because you end up having to leave out Lungi and Gidi, uh, I guess. Uh, but that that just is something they miss, isn't it? They, they, they don't have that ballast down the order and you can see why that can be useful from his innings today. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it all tournament, haven't we, that South Africa have basically no all-rounders. Um, so you can see the appeal to keep both Pethlequire and Janssen in when he's back. And you were saying earlier, Ngidi hasn't had the best of tournaments. No, but he's not been awful. He's taken about a wicket or two every game, which is which is okay. Yeah, I guess, I guess not being awful isn't the criteria for selection for a World Cup semi-final. But um, I'm not entirely sure Fekliquayo offers substantially more with the ball at the minute than Ngidi, I guess. Um, he bowled pretty well today, but 
I think when you think about the type of bowlers and the plans that South Africa have gone with so far in the tournament, they'll want uh, Ngidi to be back at his best and Janssen in instead of Fekakweo. Um So, yeah, he offered them more with the bat today, but I don't see any situation where Janssen wouldn't have been able to score those runs to get them home either. Um, but yeah, it's good that they they chased it because I was worried we were going to have to come on here and brand them the worst chasing side in the tournament, which I guess now we don't have to. Um, I'm still not necessarily backing them to win chasing in the semi-final, but we'll have to see. I think it's that frustration for South Africa and that the bloke who's iced the chase for them is the person who's not going to play. And like it's, it is that case in like Janssen, it's good for South Africa that Janssen's able to have a rest from a bowling perspective, but actually... You, this is the exact type of innings and scenario where you want to go in. Like, what was it? What was it? Sixty-five to win at five wickets down. It's one of the you're one wicket away from kind of a scenario where both teams kind of feel like they've lost, as mm. it were. It's that that moment in the balance where people kind of shit themselves. Basically, that's when cricket like really gets at its most tense. And I think it was though still an overall a, a kind of beneficial exercise for South Africa because the first innings just had like massive dead rubber um, kind of vibes. I kind of it got the impression to me of like an inter-club game where no one really wants to be there. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh no, we did actually get something out of this. Like this was a fun experiment. But at the beginning when kind of Afghanistan weren't showing too much, they kind of fell to 116 for six. Dukok was just taking catches. I think he took six catches behind the stumps or something. And, and everyone, he just celebrated a little bit less. Like it was quite a remarkable how little reaction there was from South Africa. But by the end of it, they will be pleased to have had the kind of monkey off the back. I'd have been interested to know had they won the toss, whether they'd have, if they'd have publicly said, oh, we're going to have a chase because this is our kind of weaker suit or whether mm -hmm. you kind of keep that to yourselves. Or if you, if you even want to think about it, whether it's kind of like, oh, no, we're fine. We'll be okay. But yeah, win, win toss, win World Cup for South Africa still for me. Mm, yeah, I guess it's also nice just that Pethakwai's had his input into this campaign he's a really he's a likable cricketer he's also he's specifically quite clutch i think i think his his numbers probably don't look that great overall but i would weirdly trust him in this sort of situation he's just got like a a, a good head on him i think um uh, gerald cuts he's he's fun isn't he uh, <laughs> uh he fits into a category well, that, that cam likes of uh looking a bit like a child no 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 no. Really you, no you said that he he looks like this type of person yeah yeah it's, i didn't i didn't say i say that about yeah okay, another no, very but, famous yeah, cricketer but it's a category that you have invented oh yeah i know i enjoy the category as a whole yeah I but you know. but you don't agree that he fits into it you really put me on the spot uh gerald and no, i think he's, he's a lovely looking boy i'll let you expand on that okay okay no but I, I think more i just like how i mean he's he, he bowls really well and really quickly but he just gets properly fired up doesn't he i love i love his headband i love his celebrations i love that celebrity he did earlier in the tournament where there wasn't it wasn't even like um some celebrity appeals you're kind of like appealing towards the slip cordon yeah this wasn't even that this just was a proper like squat and like yell <laughs> uh so nothing about his bowling well and, and, he, and he bowls quickly and he takes middle overs wickets but you know that that's less interesting, I guess. But he, he's fun, isn't he, Cam? Yeah, he's just he's just like a really angry South African robot who's just going <laughs> to be there and kind of become better and better and win everything forever. I, I think I didn't realise how... I didn't realise how, quite how dramatic his ascent to the kind of South African team was and has been. I kind of remember seeing his name kind of flying about the traps for whatever in various kind of like franchise competitions. He, he may have uh, partaken in Major League Cricket, which is a fine tournament that everyone should uh, get behind, especially Washington Freedom. Um, paid journalism, that. Uh, but it, he was out there playing for Texas Super Kings and I kind of didn't really appreciate that he was there as like a star overseas player, not because 
like I don't know there's this kind of South African biggest South African affiliation with the tournament also because he's literally just a kind of a superstar in the making he's debuted in all three formats this year and has kind of risen to a place where what we were talking about there you go right if a seaman makes way to keep the second all-rounder in the team doesn't Gidi go and you're like well no 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 like Kurt's here is entering the competition is absolutely the third seamer in that side and for that for the conversation to be does Ngidi go rather than does he go kind of shows the rise of his stock over the last million years of the world cup i think it's interesting well he's pretty much there instead of nokia mm. right so having come in in the place of their premier quick bowler and risen above maybe a couple of others in the scheme of this tournament it's been a pretty good tournament for, for gerald Curtis's international career to be honest yeah i mean what South Africa's leading wicket taker now and especially if you look at his split game by game he's taken at least three wickets in in four separate games and then two wickets in two others so that is that is constant contributions and and that actually can be the role that you end up with figures that look quite ugly because two for 60 can be really good figures in the middle overs and ODI and yet he's averaging less than 20 with the ball. He would be, I think it's worth noting though, if South Africa do, for whatever reason, choose to go with two spinners in the semi-final, which is a, forma a formation they've gone with earlier in the competition, I'd still guess that he'll be the one to make way in the same way he did earlier in the competition i think it was against oh, what was it? against pakistan they they went with two spinners and kersia sat out and it was that i'd be shocked if he wasn't the one to make way if a second spinner came into the side i guess that's, that's more to do with the balance of the side though right because you're not going to yeah. leave out Fakwayo for another spinner who can't really bat so but, no but for I, sure but i more mean if if um marco jansen came back in for fefla and then South ah, Africa went no, second spinner, then who who's the seam who drops out, basically. Yeah. And I'm guessing it'd still be Kersia. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. I guess it's a bit of a theoretical discussion. Um, but because I do also wonder, because Rabada's not been taking the new ball this World Cup, and he's obviously he's brilliant whenever he bowls, but Rabada and Janssen with the new ball in the World Cup semi final, that feels really nice. Okay, I'm glad you went that way. I thought you were about to start talking about maybe you'd let no, 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 Rabada go, and I was like, absolutely finished, not. done. Absolutely like, not. But but I just wonder, especially when Ngidi has that such that prime role where you should be taking loads of wickets yeah. in the way that Janssen has done and Ngidi hasn't quite done. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be totally shocked if a guy who's just taken, you know, four for 44, if that edges him a little bit above someone else in the pecking order. But yeah. I think there's a reason why South Africa have gone with the bowling splits they have though, right? So they've thought that the, the guys they've gone with with the new ball have needed the new ball more than perhaps Rabada has needed the new ball. And, and mm -hmm. that's to do with Nokia yeah. not being in the squad and also not having Susanna Magala as their death specialist. You know, and if we look at Kurtzia specifically, there were concerns earlier in the tournament against Sri Lanka and against the Netherlands uh, in the middle overs and at the death that he didn't have, you know, the control that was needed to bowl in those periods. Um, and he didn't have the, the depth in his skills and his planning at that point to to be effective at those times so if we're talking about Rabada taking the new ball yeah it, it's tempting you know like he wouldn't want to see Rabada with a new ball but if you think about it in terms of South Africa's plans and what's going to work for them through an innings that's perhaps not the best way to go uh, well let's, let's talk a bit more about Afghanistan because I guess this is this is the end of their World Cup um, and I suppose it's it's a mark of how uh, how much they've improved during the tournament cam that these last two games have felt like a yeah. bit of a disappointment. I kind of I know the Australia game was ridiculous for that Maxwell innings, but to push South Africa and Australia quite close a few weeks ago, you've been like, "Oh, well done, that's great." And now they're looking like, "Ah, oh, if we'd won those two games, which we easily could have done, we might be looking at a World Cup semi-final right now." Well, yeah, we, we we were Glenn Maxwell miracle away from this being like a, a really really tense finish. Obviously, the game plays out in a different way. Had they won the fixture, but say they'd beaten um, Australia and 
they did. They did win. Like 21 out of 22 of those players like <laughs> left and were like, oh, we've done our job today. It's fine. And just like, Najib's going to be thinking about that drop catch for a long time and it's going to yeah. be played a lot, unfortunately for him. But it would have been coming to this fixture on four wins in a row. And it, was, it wasn't, I didn't kind of, I guess the, the acknowledgement of their improvement comes in. I, I no longer looked at this as a game where it was like, oh, this will be like a huge upset. Oh, this will be a surprise. It'll still be like a kind of a, a result at odds with the kind of, what's the word, correlation and trend of international cricket. But they've become, because of how strong their spin attack is, that's a genuine kind of like super strength to use modern parlance, whatever. And then where their weakness was, they now have another strength and just calm heads in the middle who are kind of knocking off chases. They're, they're like 250, 260, 280. They're just kind of, their median performance has become so that much better with the bats that it's then increased their strength with the ball. If bowlers are going to have more runs to bowl, bowl to defend, they instantly become better because even without having to send anything down, there's more pressure on the batters. Um, It'll be remarkable. It'll be really interesting to see where it kind of goes from now. If it necessarily translates into a T20 performance next year, there'll be the Champions Trophy in a couple of years' time. Is is this like a, another beginning for a team that's already had many beginnings over the last kind of two decades? Mm. Well, that will do for part one. In part two, let's talk about Sri Lankan cricket and look ahead quickly to tomorrow's two games. So, Sri Lanka cricket have been suspended by the ICC. First, I'll read out the ICC statement, which says, The International Cricket Council, brackets ICC board, has suspended Sri Lanka Cricket's membership of the IC with immediate effect. The IC board met today and determined that Sri Lankan cricket is in serious breach of its obligations as a member, in particular, the requirement to manage its affairs autonomously and ensure that there is no government interference in the government's regulation and or administration of cricket in Sri Lanka. The conditions of the suspension will be decided by the ICC in due course. Now, there's quite a lot of background to this, which I should try and cover off before we actually discuss it. Uh, Estelle Vasudevan alluded to this in the podcast on Monday. So go back and listen to that as well for someone who knows a bit more about what they're talking about. Uh, but there's a few things which definitely have happened uh, to influence this. So the Sri Lankan sports minister, Roshan Ranasinga, sacked the Sri Lankan cricket board and replaced them with an interim committee. I think this was on Monday or Sunday around then. Uh, the interim committee was led by Ayuna Ranatunga, but then seemingly at the same time as this, and it seems like they did it without much knowledge of what each other was doing, Sri Lanka's president, Ranul Wickram Singer, appointed a four-man subcommittee to investigate the SLC board. But that's the board that had just been sacked, so it doesn't seem like you need to investigate them. But anyway, that's what happened. The president of SLC, the one who'd just been sacked, Shami Silva, then lodged an appeal with the Supreme Court, who gave a 14-day stay order to the board, which effectively reinstated them for that two-week period. But then at Yesterday, there was a resolution passed in Parliament titled Removal of the Corrupt Officials, including Chairman from Sri Lankan Cricket Board, which was then forwarded to the ICC. There's also a bit more background in some really good reporting by Andrew Fidel Fernando on Crickinfo, which says that the ICC still recognises Silva, who's the guy who was kind of sacked as the president, and it was actually a request from Silva that got the board suspended, basically while it sorts everything out uh that's i think that's kind of covered what is known at the moment there'll be more to come out catch it's, it's just a bit of a mess isn't it that was a masterclass. class yeah, i really enjoyed that yeah it's a it's a massive mess right i don't know it's much more to say than just it's, it, it is a mess um and i don't know i, I guess it's also one of those things that i i'm expecting 
in two days time yeah. there should be another ridiculous thing that happens in this saga are you allowed I, to find it funny i find it quite funny i think Cause, imagine if like grant shaps just like rob key gone <laughs> like that's kind of like government intervention i think something that um from andrew fernando's reporting which i thought kind of i read that i was like okay i'm kind of gonna relax and kind of see this player's course one the fact that estelle and andrew and people who like follow such shrank and cricket closely this wasn't a surprise for them. I think everyone um, kind of in the media all gets the ICC press release. It goes into their emails and everyone's like, oh my God, that's a very dramatic email to receive, especially when they normally say like, Sisanda Magala ruled out of like South Africa's 15th for the World Cup. Yeah, like, or, okay. or Baba with insight of number one ranking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you go, right, you go, Shrank, like, ban. You're like, whoa, okay. But then something that um, Fernando's also reporting is that it's basically kind of like, um, it's not so much of a suspension, but like a, a warning. A very, very firm slap on the yeah, wrist. It's basically yeah. just like you've got a little bit of time now. Like there's no cricket um, in the country until December. There's no more ICC funds going to the country until January. And so it's basically this like period of time where it's like sort, sort your stuff out and kind of let's work out the work out the doing don't lose by 302 runs and you can avoid all these things. Yeah. It seems a bit trigger happy though. Like a ban oh, surely goes beyond a beyond a warning. But I guess, I guess the thing is, is that actually when you look at it in terms of consequences and what they might miss immediately, there's not that much. So in the Future Tours programme, they've got mooted series against Zimbabwe and Afghanistan early next year. This is the men's side, but those haven't been arranged yet. And again, the women's side's next schedule cricket is in March, I think. The thing that is most, I think looks most precarious is that the Un-19 World Cup is yeah. set to be held in Sri Lanka next January. And... Maybe they get it sorted out by January. I think it's it's probably likely that they will. But can they get it sorted out in time so that all the the planning and everything else needs to be done? Is there another place that you can move that? That that's the thing that's most up in the air at the moment. But I guess that's you can kind of be suspended right now because there's nothing to do. So I guess that's how it's a it's a very very firm, uh, yeah, very very firm warning. I suppose would they not have waited till after the World Cup? Like well, I, I guess they did wait until one day after they were. They were knocked yeah. out yeah. officially, though, um, or at least uh, they were not knocked out for their game. But but one day after they played their last game, you couldn't you probably couldn't suspend them before they played their last game, and then they did that, God, and now they're gone. Yeah, um, you should talk just a bit more generally because people have have wondered about this just this government interference clause in particular. That is what the IC have cited, which is there in its constitution, but it's also something that just gets very selectively applied. I mean. To start with, in the case of Sri Lankan cricket, every release we get that says this squad has been announced or this player has been a replacement comes signed off by the sports minister. Um, now, presumably that's, you know, a rubber stamping kind of thing, but that's still there. I mean, in England, we had, we've had we had many, many government hearings over the past few years into the ECB and the issue of, you know, racism and inequality in the country. And I, I, in my, you know, it's a good thing that those have happened, but you could argue that is government interference of a sort you know in Pakistan you have that the uh the PCB chair is a political appointee and I guess what I'm trying to get at is that like I don't know if government interference in itself is something we need to be like definitely wary of it and think like oh could this lead to something bad but I don't think it needs to be completely barred and in, in effect it's not completely barred even though the IC constitution says it is I mean cricket is a big deal in lots of places and it's therefore kind of natural that you know, elected officials, etc., would see fit to get involved at various times. But I suppose this is an example of bad government interference. But you can't just say in a constitution we're against bad government interference, not good government interference. It just I don't know. It feels like this clause is a bit of a misnomer when what they're actually against is 
the bad things rather than the government interference itself. Would, would you, so I, 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 when you said that before we were now, I was like that, it, I, thought, I thought it was a very intelligent point, like critical analysis at uni. It's like, oh, you kind of taking the question somewhere else. I'd, in my head, I was just being like, oh yes, government interference, bad, that should be stopped. And then you kind of walk through it. Like, did would you have, do you have necessarily a problem with the ICC kind of eliciting it or like bringing it up here and using it? Because this has been at like the request of the Sri Lankan board. So that's why I kind of, the kind of idea that the ICC are picking and choosing. Yes, there's obviously their kind of hypocrisies that exist across the world game, obviously mostly with Afghanistan at the moment. But if a board come to Sri Lanka, come to the ICC and say, we need your help in this, and then they use that, is that then necessarily a stick to beat the ICC with as an example of being hypocritical when they apply? Yeah, I guess so. And I guess what you'd hope within the ICC constitution, if there were to be additions or it to be rewritten or whatever, and I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I guess... I want you to have all the answers. I guess, for example, one thing you could have is that a country's cricket board needed to be elected or appointed in a fair and transparent manner and if you had that in there then that would bar this thing that's happened now but wouldn't bar all government interference for example and another thing that we should talk about because Afghanistan played today and because people have asked about it and because it is just important to talk about is um, the fact that in Afghanistan women are not allowed to play cricket and that is because of the Taliban who are you know who is in power there at the moment Um, and I think we would all probably agree that that is a a reason why the ACB should not be full members of the ICC. But also the issue isn't for me so much that the Taliban are saying you can't, that women can't play cricket. The issue is that women can't play cricket. I mean, they're they're both bad, but if if the Taliban were saying it's fine for women to play cricket and the ACB were saying women can't play cricket, I would still say that that would be reason enough to, to bar the ACB, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff with the Afghanistan thing is just how brazenly the rules are being completely flouted. Like yesterday, there was an interview with Jeff Allardyce Allardyce on on the Stumped podcast where he said, it's a board matter. We don't interfere with board matters. And then today, you could argue this is an interference in board matters. Um, And the problem with what the IC have done is they've completely ignored a fundamental part of their own charter, which says if you don't have developmental structures for women, you cannot be a full member. That doesn't mean you can't play cricket, but it does mean you can't play test cricket and you can't be a full member. Um, And they also have not placed the most important voices at the center of this conversation, which is the women themselves. You know, they, they haven't responded to a letter that was written to them earlier this year from the Afghanistan players who are now in exile in, in Australia. Um, And it's quite cold the way with which they've handled the entire situation of completely divorcing themselves from it. Um, And at the end of the day, cricket's not going to fix the situation for women in Afghanistan. It's not going to improve their day-to-day living conditions in any measurable way. But it's a sign to say, we don't agree with what you're doing, that we're going to abide by our own rules. That's kind of a base mark, right? We're not asking the ICC, or they're not asking the ICC to do anything that's going to contradict their own rules. They're asking them to just follow their own rules. Um, And it's also, every time we have this conversation, it's worth remembering what actually happened to those women. When you say that women are banned from 
playing cricket, it kind of divorces it from the reality of what actually happened in that these women would, they're not, a lot of them children, teenagers were chased out of their country by men wielding machine guns and saying they were going to kill them by playing cricket. They were chased over borders in the middle of the night. They spent time in refugee camps in Pakistan for months on end with families and no certainty over their future. And that's what this is about. And, and then to completely flout your own regulations so brazenly and so in the face of everyone, it just makes a mockery of the ICC, really. Um, and it it just shows that they aren't, what they care about isn't what they should care about. What they should care about is integrity of the sport and integrity of their own rules. And realistically, that's not what they're showing people they care about, I guess, with the Afghanistan situation. What would, because um, I was, I read your piece again on the way, way here and also kind of, so we spoke about it before we recorded. So uh, something that I sometimes wonder is like, before i almost i sometimes wonder whether it was more egregious that afghanistan didn't have a women's team or didn't have a women's structure before the taliban took over because there was that was an acb decision it wasn't like it was banned from like it's the the taliban like with yeah whereas now that's kind of taken out of their hands so what does what would integrity look like from an icc perspective would it be a case of not having the men's teams or like how do they change their charter or like do they kind of acknowledge that there is this kind of glaring hypocrisy of what the current state of the world is because if if the if the men's team were banned now that would because there's no women's team there's no not gonna be a women's team in afghanistan until the taliban are overthrown and and that would be on the news that would be quite a big event yeah well whether you think the men should be banned or not based on the fact that women can't play cricket is irrelevant it's in the icc's charter that you can't be a full member if you don't have women's pathways so the mistake they've made if they didn't want to ban the men and i know for a fact that members of the afghanistan women's team don't want the men's team to be banned then they shouldn't have put that in their charter and they shouldn't have really appointed afghanistan as a full member when they did appoint them as a full member because there were very there were some but very very limited pathways for women to play cricket in Afghanistan and from a national team perspective they weren't able to train to any before the Taliban took over they weren't able to train to any standard that a national team should be able to train in but you can argue the same or similar for other countries around the world with women's cricket you can look at Sri Lanka and Sri Lanka have an amazing women's team who came over here and and beat England over the summer but they operate in very difficult circumstances within their own country and pathways and funding and all of this and if you think about what the potential consequences of this decision could be to ban them to ban Sri Lanka that could have horrific implications on the women's team and the future of women's cricket in Sri Lanka as well so if you're making a point in your charter that you fundamentally care about women's cricket and want to see it developed into a fully fledged professional game to rival the men's game your actions don't tell people that that's what you want. Mm, yeah, and and I guess also there was no need. This would have been actually a good chance when Afghanistan got test status. You could have just divorced full membership from test status at that point. And you know, actually, for example, like Ireland women and Netherlands women played test matches long before they were full members. Netherlands women aren't full members. Um, those two things don't need to be joined, and you and that would be a way to have the. Afghanistan men's story have continued without giving the ACB this hugely privileged position within the game in terms of deciding, you know, who gets what money, how tournaments are set up and all that sort of thing. Uh, That's not something that the ACB, I suppose, deserve, especially not now, even if the men, the men's team, you know, have deserved to be elevated and lifted up as an inspiring story, I suppose. And that would have been a way to divorce those two things and they and they chose not 
to take it, I guess. But this is all about power, right? Mm. So if you think about government interference, the, the interference that Sri Lankan board have been under takes away some of the ICC's power over the Sri Lankan cricket board or autonomy over cricket in that, in that country. Whereas it's a different situation with the ACB. So you can look at it directly and think where the ICC's influence is threatened in national cricket boards, that's where they're willing to take action. Where when it's not, that's where the action can be bent or they can afford a lack of action. Well, we'll, we'll be just talking about that a lot more on Kat is doing um, reporting, speaking to members of or Afghan women's cricketers who did have to flee. We've got that ongoing channel open and next week's pod will have lots more coverage of the Sri Lanka situation and uh, everything we've discussed here. Um, on to much less importantly, really, uh, tomorrow's games. Uh, these That's rubbers, really Bangladesh, <laughs> trying to stop me. These rubbers are becoming more and more dead by the day, but there is still just about something riding on these. So if Australia beat Bangladesh by enough, I haven't worked it out. I'm sorry. They could take second place in the group, which could be important if that semi-final is rained off against Africa because whoever's second goes through in that case. Um, and if Pakistan beat England by around 287 runs, they could overtake New Zealand and get to semi-finals. We don't need to make the obvious joke about England here. Um, I think that is that is unlikely to happen. Uh, Pakistan's equations is slightly better than it was last time uh, when they went into the last game of the group stages, also needing a ridiculous result to overtake New Zealand, but not much better. They might go for it. They might not. Um, I guess it just speaks to New Zealand are good at navigating World Cup group stages, aren't they? Uh, they, in neither of, if assume Pakistan do finish fifth, in neither of the last two World Cups will New Zealand have beaten anyone in the top five of the group, and yet they'll have made the semi-finals of both. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a a really bizarre kind of for not just quirk. It's not a quirk; it's built into the structure of the World Cup. But New Zealand are about to play a, World, a semi-final, World Cup semi-final, having won one of their last five matches. Like that's a ludicrous scenario. Um, but to kind of dial down that kind of cynicism towards them, um. They got four hundred. I, I, the Pakistan loss. I, I know they lost, but I somehow don't feel like Pakistan would have made four hundred. They also got three hundred and a million against uh, Australia. Like they've played some very, very good cricket throughout the competition, and I do still think they're a chance to kind of knock over India. I think my prediction for tomorrow's games. I think Pakistan are going to win by two hundred eighty-eight runs, <laughs> and then I think that India are going to no Netherlands are going to knock over India on Sunday. <laughs> Overtaking Bangladesh, qualifying for the Champions Trophy, India, Pakistan semi final. There we go. Okay. Lovely. Um, well, when the rubbers go dead, the pod still stays alive. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow to discuss that Australia game and that England game. Um, so please do join us then. Thank you a lot for listening. Podcast Network.